0: listeners, I'm working on a mailbag episode where I answer your questions. So if you have anything you'd like to ask me, send me an email to sam at kitchentablemagic.org. I'll read all of your questions on air in a future episode. Thanks. Kitchen Table Magic is presented by Hipsters of the Coast. Hipsters of the Coast is the premier news and strategy blog for the Magic the Gathering community. Read up on insightful columns written by an expert team of Magic insiders. There's something for everyone. Discussion about legacy, commander, preview cards from the new set, and more. Just go to hipstersofthecoast.com for news and strategy on all of your favorite formats. That's hipstersofthecoast.com. Kitchen Table Magic is brought to you by Card Kingdom. Rivals of Ixalan previews are going on now. Who will find the City of Orozca first? Will Jace ever get his memory back? Is Blood Sun better than Blood Moon? Pre-order your Rivals of Ixalan sealed product and singles now at cardkingdom.com/ktm. Rivals of Ixalan ships January 19th. Kitchen Table Magic is brought to you by Paragon City Games. They're a community-focused game store in Draper, Utah that cares deeply about their player base. Tune into their stream at twitch.tv slash Paragon City Games for daily legacy action. Hello, sir. Could you please introduce yourself?
1: Hi, uh, my name is uh, Keith Capstick. I'm a journalist by trade. I work for MSN as an online editor. I write for Mana Deprived about Magic, as well as uh, playing Magic in my free time.
0: Welcome to Kitchen Table Magic, a storytelling podcast featuring the amazing people of the Magic: The Gathering community. I'm your host, Sam Tang. Join me and my guests as we share stories about what MTG means to us, how we got started playing Magic, the ups, the downs, the hilarious stories, and everything in between. In this episode, I'm talking to journalist, writer, and Jun enthusiast Keith Capstick. Keith is an editor at msn.com and also writes for Face to Face Games Toronto that runs MataDeprived.com. Keith and I share the love of the modern archetype, Jund. Jund's not doing so hot these days with all that stupid Tron and Death Shadow running around. Coming up soon is Pro Tour Rivals of Ixalan, which is a modern Pro Tour, so hopefully Reed Duke can help a homie out and win with Jund. Keith and I discuss the finer things about Jund, how it's positioned, and why you should play Jund. We also discuss how Black, White, Green, also known as Junk, got its name. I spoke with Keith in the summer of 2017. I hope you enjoy my Jundee interview with Keith Capstick. Hi, everyone. Thanks for joining me on Kitchen Table Magic. I'm your host, Sam Tang, and today I am here with the Jund expert, Keith Capstick. Keith, how are you doing? I'm pretty good. How are you? I'm doing fantastic. Thank you so much for being here on the show with us. Uh, My pleasure. And where are you joining us from? Uh, I live in uh, Toronto, Ontario, and Canada. Keith, I really appreciate you joining us. And listeners, if you don't really know who Keith is, Keith is a prolific writer and thinker of Jund, specifically modern Jund, my absolute favorite deck. Isn't that right, Keith?
1: I wouldn't say prolific, but I, I certainly I certainly write a lot about it and talk a lot about it whenever I'm given the chance. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, we'll definitely be doing that in this hour. But like all things, we start at the beginning. Keith, where did you grow up and how did you find magic?
1: Uh, well, I grew up uh, like just around here, about an hour north of Toronto. And uh, I found magic... Uh, I guess just as I was graduating high school and starting university, that just kind of a, it was actually kind of like an ancillary uh, competitive hobby. I was a, a baseball player growing up and, and was through university. And uh, when that started fading kind of out of my life, uh, magic became my new competitive outlet. And I just kind of took it from there. I played both baseball and magic in college. And then once once I finished my, my baseball seasons in college, I, I really started to get more competitive with Magic and, and making it more of a sort of primary outlet in my life.
0: Who taught you to play Magic?
1: Uh, it was actually like, one of my best friends growing up. His name's Jarrett. He seemed to have a knack for it. Uh, every time I try to teach someone how to play Magic, it's it's a train wreck. But he, he seems he seemed to be pretty good at it. So uh, yeah, we, we went on a cottage trip once and he just kind of taught me everything he knew.
0: <laughs> That's really funny what you said. It is really hard to play Magic. I mean, once you know how to play Magic, it's kind of like riding a bike. It's like, how do you really explain to someone else how to play? Um, but yeah. yeah, like same here. If I try to explain how To play Magic to anyone, like it's a train wreck for me as well. (laughs) That's really cool. And so you also said that you were a writer and an online editor for MSN. Kind of, how did you get into that professional background of yours?
1: Well, I took journalism in my undergrad, and then uh, did some work like sort of learning how to how to be a writer, and that was like kind of my always my my goal growing up. I worked for a publication called The Score Esports. Uh, they're based out of Toronto, but I, I know that they're pretty big in the esports community. So uh, I wrote for them about a variety of things, but mostly Hearthstone as just kind of a side job when I was doing my, my college. Now that I've graduated, I started out online doing editing there at MSN. And uh, now I'm just kind of doing that in a, along with the magic stuff and writing for mananddeprived.com, which is uh, a Canadian website that's run by face to Face Games which I'm sure that you would recognize from the, the pro team
0: that's on Pro Tour. Mana Private is really awesome. They've got a lot of great strategy on there. And you wrote an article called The Black Green X Bible. So kind of like The Rock Bible. Can you tell us a little bit about what's in that article?
1: Essentially, uh, I ended up speaking to a lot of people at sort of local game stores and just people in my kind of Toronto-centric community, where they would say, "Oh, what what are you playing now? Or what kind of deck would you play this weekend?" And I'm kind of known for playing these sort of thoughtsees-oriented uh, mid-range black decks. And uh, I, I finally decided that with Death Shadow on the rise, uh, I would write a comparison of all the different options that were sort of in front of you as a, as a black green player and uh, why I would play one strategy versus another one from weekend to weekend. So that's kind of like what what motivated me to write that article? It ended up being a uh, really long and, and kind of uh, more in-depth than I than I had planned, but uh, I was happy with how it turned out.
0: That's really cool. And then you also wrote another article called Just Jundam, <laughs> Just Jundam <laughs> at uh, 401games.ca and uh, yeah. that was a little bit older from September 2016, but what was in that one? What's your point of view for that article?
1: It was the the first time I'd ever won a uh, PPTQ I was kind of on a high of, of, of having su- success with the, the Jund archetype, the modern. And it, it was kind of at one of Jund's highs as well, right after El uh, the well, I, I mean got banned. Yeah. And uh, I, it was kind of just sort of uh, what I thought were the core principles of the Jund or Black Green X archetype. The way that they they were misconstrued by some people or like the things that you kind of have to know about your deck if you want to play Jund, that kind of thing.
0: I always really envied Jund because when I, um, I took a long break from magic, kind of like in college and a little bit after college when I was working. And then uh, right when Rise of the Eldrazi came out, I was just like, I love magic. I'm getting back into it. And ever since then, I was always trying to figure out a format to play. And I never really thought that I could follow standard. And I wasn't that, you know, very good of a limited player. So for me, it was really kind of like uh, the accessible, in air quotes, eternal format. So that was modern right. for me, right? And so I had, I, you know, I loved blue. So I ended up jumping into like. Like Jess guy Back then it was called Air Force One because it was American control and flyers and so it's just like, you know what I mean? And then, yeah. but you know, I always really envy Jun because Jun was like another three color, really flashy, got all these powerful things and then Innistrad came out and then and then Liliana the Veil and that just really pushed that deck like over the top. Right. It survived banning because Bloodbraid Elf got banned and then there was a little bit of turmoil and then it kind of clawed its way back up to the top and then there was right. Deathrite Shaman <laughs> from Return to Ravnica which was so sick. That's when I was just like, I've really got to step it up and get into the Jun game because this is awesome, right? And so, I think I ended up like getting Deathrite uh, Shamans because it was in standard and they were pretty cheap and I was like getting ready for to build my Jun deck because I didn't have my Lilianas or Time wipes. And then it's like, then it got banned. (laughs) I was (laughs) like, oh man. And then Jun got back to the top again. And it was just like, whoa, this is so insane. So, I like resolved Play Jund. I was like, I'm getting my bobs, my goifs, my lilies. I collected all of my, you know, magic collection and I traded it all away just straight up for value. I was like, look, I don't need foil worm coil engines. Like, I'm <laughs> never, I'm never going to play these, right? Like, I, I need to get cards that I want to play. So I was just like, commit. So I committed to Jund and then right. struggled with Jund for like nine months, kind of just losing with it constantly, not knowing what the thought sees. It's just like, stuff like that, you know? And right. I'm always really big on getting different resources for Jund and I found a Facebook group uh, that used to be like MTG Jund and I think now it's called Jund City or something like that. My friend Ron Court, uh, he's one of the admins and just... They just... All they do is talk about Jund and people kind of laugh because they're just like, yeah, it's all just about sharing how people are foiling out their Jund dice, which is not the only thing that we talk about in that group. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I think that was also Kind of how I stumbled onto your articles, right? But you know, give us a little bit of a brief history. You know, I kind of gave you a little bit of my history with Jun, but can you tell us just about kind of overarching about kind of how Jun began and kind of where it was functionally in those different stages of history?
1: Honestly, I'm jealous of, of anyone anyway. about to play uh, Jun with Deathrite or or Oath uh, because <laughs> yeah, I, I was sure. never one of those people. To be honest, <laughs> yeah, me neither. I kind of started started into magic a little bit too late to catch that wave of modern. I mean I think what sort of happened was those Jund decks ended up being kind of they were really good stuff decks. They, they were similar to what uh what the Grixis control decks uh, the Snapcaster Colgan commands decks are now where you're like you're taking the most powerful cards and you're kind of abusing them like it, it almost doesn't matter what your opponent's trying to do because what you're doing is just so powerful. Yeah. And that's what that's what Bloodbraid Elf and and Deathrite Shaman did to Jun, Whereas you you could do things like play Liliana on turn two or Bloodbraid into Liliana. And sometimes when you're able to do that, no matter how bad the matchup is, you're going to get a type of advantage that just doesn't exist elsewhere. And and that's that's kind of what the Snapcaster Colyrion come in. engine applies to those Grixis deck now. Yeah. Whereas after those cards were banned, I think Jun became a more a little bit more nuanced of a deck. You you were really just trying to to grind and and pull holes uh your thought seasons got a little bit more complicated because there was these decks now that you didn't have the power level of, of, of a card like blood Bloodbraid elf you had to be able to go under some decks and then other decks you could beat down just like a normal sort of mid-range deck I think what happened in that sort of as Jun was like morphing I think what happened was you really had to change the way that you would sideboard and and you would approach these matchups because you weren't you weren't able to beat decks with just uh raw power anymore.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And there was a phase where kind of there was some bannings and some kind of things kind of calmed down a little bit. And then there was the era of Splinter Twin. So how yeah. how did Jund exist or survive in the era of Splinter Twin?
1: Well, I, I think a lot of people saw Jund as... Sort of the the thing that kept Twin in check was that's as much as you can keep a deck like that in check because it, it did end up top aiding like every modern Pro Tour until it got banned. But it was the deck that Twin had a bad matchup against, or a quote unquote bad matchup against as long it was as it as it was around because cards like Abrupt Decay that are uncounterable and just just like ha- having such a quick clock in combination with uh, so many answers to the combo made it very difficult for Twin to to keep up. On just like a, on a functional level like deck to deck. The cards just lined up so much so positively in Jund against what Twin is trying to do. You know, like, they were hard-pressed to be able to get Tarmogra- Tarmografe off the board. Their deck was kind of soft to thoughtsies as it stood. So, uh, that that was that was kind of like what Jund's role was. Is it, it, it was really like there to keep Twi- Twin in check for a long time.
0: And even during that era uh, with Affinity and Infect, these really fast aggro decks, I always felt like Jund kind of had a little bit of a better matchup against some of those decks.
1: To be honest, and I think this is something uh, Reed Duke has said in the past, is, is that affinity is a deck that it's become commonplace to say that Jund has a good affinity matchup. Mm-hmm. But I, I do think that you need you need the sideboard cards to back that statement up. Sure. I've played a lot of Jund decks with bad affinity matchups. And obviously, that's like a conscious choice. But I, I do think you need the Ancient Grudges and the, and the Shatterstorms and like having multiple Cole against Commands in your 75 in order to call that matchup as good as most people sort of speak about it you can get run down pretty quick as long if you're not prepared just just like as affinity does to everyone now in, in fact on the other hand even at the height of its popularity was always I felt like a just a really positive matchup and one of the reasons to be playing John.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And so those were the favorable matchups. But then we also had the terrible matchups. So we just had like right. red-green Tron. It was just... Oh my goodness. Every single game, I just slogged through those.
1: <laughs> yeah. Not having sideboard cards for Tron is something I, I've advocated for in the past. But like, I, I just... Modern is is... It's just a nine to 12% format. Like there, there's going to be, you know, 30 decks and everything's, everything's fighting for a percentage of the metagame. And if you're going to play an eight round event, you're likely to play Tron maybe once. And I, I, I just genuinely believe if you want to be like the mid range decks that has good matchups across the board and you know you're 51, 52% against the, the field, the thing to do is, is not to have a pile of, of crumble to dust in your sideboard for, uh, for Tron. I don't think it's winnable.
0: Yeah, Tron is so nasty with Karn and as well as Ugin. Like, I mean, I think in my life, I have only won maybe one or two matches against Tron, period. And that's right. and that's just brutal. And and one time, I think I've only won like one game one against Tron, and that was because my opponent completely bricked on everything. It was just complete luck because they were searching for things and couldn't find it and, or like had no expedition maps and was just like Sylvan Scrying for nothing. And I just basically was like, <laughs> dropped a 5-6 Tarmic Wife on turn 2 and was just like, attack 4 times? And that basically was it, right? Yeah. And then that was also just so happened to be the match that I won because I put my opponent on tilt, <laughs> which is awesome. <laughs> so basically, uh, game 2, I put in all my fulminators. I put it. I also had ghost quarters in the main, and then I also threw in um, uh, what's it called, surgical extraction. So it right. was I, I mulliganed until I had surgical extraction and ghost quarter in my opening hand. So I was immediately like, ghost quarter, surgical extraction. I have no lands, but go ahead. <laughs> and, <laughs> and they were just like, well, I can't win, so GG's. And yeah. that was like the only match of against Tron that I had ever won. <laughs> and so right. it was just it's so brutal. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah. I mean. It's just really tough, and, and uh, honestly, I find that I find that the matchups you're going to win are, are are like that. They're like the Thoughtseize Tarmogoyf uh, hands, the, or the Thoughtseize Dark Confidant hands. I find that you beat Tron more often by drawing an absorbent amount of discard spells, backed by threats, than you do bringing in a whole bunch of sideboard cards. Because yeah, th- their, their, their deck is just like holistically built in a way that that it's really hard for you to interact with. And I think, with that being the case, the, the best thing to do is is just try to like bear down and, and, and hopefully for a little bit of luck and, and playing tight and hopefully you can get there when when you do have to play Tron but like I said, it's not really a big enough percentage of the metagame to like justify spending so much sideboard slots in order to make it favored.
0: I totally understand. For me, the salt was real, <laughs> and, uh, and you know. Speaking of Tron, let's move on to Eldrazi Winter, which was a, such a brutal version of Tron, Eldrazi Tron. I mean, yeah. oh, the Eldrazi! I was so salty, <laughs> like so salty for months and months.
1: It was a sad time. I, I played that uh, the GP Detroit, which was like right after the Eldrazi Pro Tour. Mm-hmm. It was a sad time for uh, for modern.
0: <laughs> <laughs> you know what, like. Uh, people had been just struggling with it so much. And I stumbled onto some really mediocre tech. So, I put in um, Executioner's Capsules as well as Glissa the Traitor because right. it has First Strike and Death Touch. So, okay. when you drop it, it doesn't matter what it is, it kills anything before <laughs> anything is able to hit it. Right. Uh, but of course, it dies to Bolt and it dies to like so many other things. But surprisingly, even up in the mirror against, mm-hmm. uh, you know, other Guifes or anything like that, it's pretty decent. Yeah. Because I put Gliss of the Traitor in with uh, and it also has a synergy with uh, Executioner's Capsule, I was able to hold off my Eldrazi Tron opponent long enough to get a draw. So, yeah. <laughs> I was basically like screaming, you shall not pass the whole time, <laughs> like we were playing that match, which was ridiculously satisfying, considering how on the back foot Jund had been for such a long time.
1: I, I, I seem to remember uh, Reed doing like extremely well with Jund at that pro tour, which is probably just a testament to how good he is. But it was a dark time. You were doing so, like like you were saying, you were doing some pretty crazy things to your to your standard archetypes in order to make your Eldra's matchup playable.
0: I uh, I mean not everyone can just be like well I'm just gonna be like redo could just play better yeah I had to reach my hand deep into like gatherer and try to find <laughs> cards that would work it was just like that was how brutal it was yeah. so we kind of understand some of the matchups and of course there's other matchups like combo ad Nauseam, you know titan shift scape shift um, we've also got Merfolk and death and taxes and you know uh, soul sisters and black white tokens I mean there's a lot of different decks and Modern that I, I think all um, Jun somehow does a fairly decent job against because you know when you've got just a lot of hate and removal and you've got a lot of discard effects or you've got just like Guif coming down um, and Lily I mean it's a pretty robust package so I'd love to talk about uh, Jun's uh, brother or cousin Junk I mean mm-hmm. I want to call it Junk but it's you know it's Abzan now but I still I call it Junk, junk. <laughs> <laughs> I do prefer Junk yeah you know I was doing a little bit of research on why. Jund is called Jund and Junk is called Junk. And we all know that Jund is named after the Shard from Alara, which is black, red and green, which is Jund. But we yeah. don't really know why it's called Junk. And so I tweeted Adrian Sullivan today. And mm-hmm. he replied and he said, I popularized the name P.T. Jank, coined by Derek Rank for Rick Ralston's Boros deck in 1997, which was also right. the best deck. And so uh, when Adrian built Junk, the name was a riff off of the old PT jank but yeah. uh, they just called it uh, PT junk and also he said that uh, Mike Flores named it as well which was really interesting bit of history coming from the source
1: yeah I think I think I've heard uh heard about Mike Flores uh, name naming it junk I I hadn't heard specifically but it was just I knew it was like a spin-off of the the word jank but uh, I hadn't heard that prior to this so that's pretty cool
0: that's pretty cool as well. I always thought junk was kind of like throw everything good in, like everything but the kitchen sink. So, they're just like, whatever, yeah, yeah. it's just a big pile of junk. But that's kind of cool. Also, Black Green Dex has also been affectionately named The Rock from back in the day Phyrexian Plague Lord, uh, having <laughs> a pose or being like The Rock from wrestling because it was The Rock and his minions and it was Phyrexian Plague Lord and Deranged Hermit with all of the squirrels.
1: Saul Maka it has been known, at least colloquially, after sort of the onset of this concept of The Rock as, as sort of just like the grandfather of these style of decks. To this day, like, he, he he's still building decks in that classic The Rock style, black, green, no third color, always dark confidant. He's like big on one ofs. He's big on sideboard one ofs. He's big on, uh, the card internal witness and having access to cards like Ghost Quarter in the two color mana base so that you could actually beat everything. Wow, I, I think theoretically the idea is is to play as big of a resource battle with your deck list as possible, uh, or at least that's a, the the impression I get from like looking at the way he builds decks. I, I think what he's trying to do is take as much of the text off of cards as possible. So think of everything as one for ones and two for ones. Think of trading lands like like you do with Ghost Quarter as just another one for one. And I, it's really impressive just to see the the way that he sort of takes these sort of dated concepts and, and applies them to new decks. Uh, I think it's I think it's fascinating.
0: Yeah, that is really fascinating, Keith. Just even kind of what you were saying even kind of reminds me of why some players will take red and switch it out for white and turn their jun deck into a junk deck, right? You're talking about like one-for-ones and two-for-ones. I mean, you've got Lingering Souls when you have access to white and you also have all these great sideboard cards like Leyland of Sankini, uh Stony Silence, Rest in Peace and uh, Path to Exile and things like that. Right. It's really interesting kind of how the dynamic shifts when you do add a different white. Can you talk a little bit about how junk is different than junk.
1: I actually think I wrote I wrote a, an article about this once as well. It's uh, it, you're very much choosing power level over efficiency. So so Jund in a lot of ways is is this kind of I want to play as few as many one one mana spells as I can. I want to curve out every game. I want to go one two Liliana then double two drop. I want to play as few four drops or, or, or higher as possible. Whereas like with the with the Abzan or the Junk archetype, you're looking to sort of slow your game ta- game plan down a little bit and rely on lingering soul. To uh, kind of draw out games. One thing I've said in the past is I've heard a lot of people saying that they they draw or that their games go very long with jund uh, with the red in their deck. And I've always been an advocate of if, if your games are going long with jund, then you're probably not playing the deck right because you, you actually just want you actually just want the game to end immediately. Right. You want to stop what your opponent's doing for the first four turns and then turn the quarter as quickly as possible. Whereas junk is is very different than that. Like you want to stop what your opponent's doing and then play lingering souls so you can you can never die but but you're just in control, right? Just like you would with a conventional control kind of deck. They're very similar in that they play a lot of the same cards, but the way that you're winning the game is 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 so unique from color to color that uh, you end up kind of having to make different sideboard choices and uh, make different card choices in order to win those late games that you wouldn't normally be playing with John.
0: That's so interesting. You know, as a Jund Junk player, when I uh, retool my deck for white versus red, I also have to really tell my mind to really shift in context. Because if I go in and I'm playing Junk and I have a Jund mindset, oh, that is not good and vice versa. <laughs> it's just you can't you can't think of it. Um, another thing that you said earlier, Keith, that I thought was fascinating is when you're playing Jund, you want to curve out. So, you want to go a discard spell or burn spell, then you want to go like Bob or Gwyff and you want to go go Lily on three and you want to go two two drops with cards like Huntmaster of the Fells it really is it's a four drop but it also makes a wolf so you're kind of getting your two two twos or you know your two two drops it's it's really fascinating and then also uh you know Chandra I mean some lists have in the past have been running Chandra because they want that card advantage or something like that just really interesting how that is same with some of the man lands as well even if you're on parity with a lot of your resources Raging Ravine crashes in for a ton of damage when left on checked
1: yeah i think specifically uh with the creature lens uh raging ravine is is one of the things that allows you to turn the corner so quickly with jund i i I actually think raging ravine and cold against commander are the the two reasons to want to be jund over uh over junk and so many of your games should be ending with you're just stabilizing and then you're bolting them untapping activating raging ravine or attacking for nothing like that, that should be how that process plays out. Whereas, like I said, with, uh, with drunk, you're looking to draw out more of those games. Cause you, you just don't have the resources to turn the corner the way that John does.
0: So, Keith, where are we now with Jund? I mean, right now where it's uh, summer of 2017, we've got Death Shadow running around everywhere. (laughs) You know, Scape Shift and Titan Shift has started to really be prevalent. Um, Eldrazi Tron is still really strong. I mean, just like, what are we looking at? Where is Jund right now on the power rankings?
1: Well Jund's in an interesting place. I I would say that it's it's kind of it's at one of its lowest points, uh just because the Death Shadow decks are so similar to what Jund is trying to do, but they're just so much more powerful. Playing Death Shadow feels like you're playing Legacy. You're you're just you're doing something that's holistically unfair. I think that that knocks a lot off of the reason to play the traditional Black Green X decks. Is is just that you don't get those free wins and you don't get to beat your bad matchups uh, very often. That kind of thing. The the thing that John does do is it operates fairly well against those Death Shadow decks. So if you're if you're in a if you expect your room to be filled with filled with Death Shadow decks, I don't think John's a bad place to be. I think Junk is a better place to be because Legendary Soul is one of the best cards in the format against Death Shadow but if you want to play Jund it's going to be operationally to beat Death Shadow. Recently a, a friend of mine in Toronto, Omar Belden won a, a match online PTQ with a Jund deck where he he kind of tuned his tuned his deck to beat Death Shadow. And be prepared for a Tronless metagame, essentially. Like he he expected a lot of Eldrazi Tron, but no traditional Tron, and mm-hmm. in in that way built his deck to kind of prey on, on on how popular this new deck is. Right? He he built his deck with four Fatal Pushes, no bolts, like those kinds of choices. He played four X Coligans command in the main deck, and then uh, he played eight of eight discard spells, which traditional John decks never do. Wow. So yeah, he he used like having all these Coligans commands as card advantage in as a way to allow him to play the eight discard spells that all the death shadow decks are doing in, in that sense he, he was very much trying to bring that same game plan but instead of stabilizing on the death shadow he was trying to stabilize on card advantage and in, in that sense be better against the death shadow decks uh, so he had some success with that and I, I think that if you want to play jun there's certainly there's certainly uh, a lot of opportunity to do it but you do have to get really creative with the way that you're building your deck and how how much you're you're trying to to hedge for death shadow
0: Kolagon's command is such an all star. I, whenever I play Kolagon's command, I just, I'm just happy. I'm just happy to do it.
1: Yeah, I agree. <laughs> it's so
0: insane. And I mean, when you're behind and you like rip a Kolkom off the top, you're just like, oh, I'm getting back something, and something else is dying. And then yeah. if you're like ahead and they're just like hell bent and they draw, you're like draw step discard it. They just, they just are like, ugh, like the look on their <laughs> face. It's <Yeah>. so mean.
1: <laughs> I mean, I. I I really think, uh like we talked about Bloodbraid, Elephant Death rate right, Shaman, but I, I really think Colgan's Command was w- one of the bigger uh printings for, for Jund since those bannings, because it gave you you have to be this deck that can deal with anything, right? And having main deck cards like Abrupt Decay and Colgan's Command to allow you to, to actually functionally deal with non-land permanence and even at an advantage like Colgan's Command offers, it, it really changes the way that the deck plays out. Not to mention the fact that playing at instant speed is just so powerful for your mid-range deck. That was the reason w- why I was always a huge advocate for Colgan's command is uh, in those sort of the grindier uh, fair mirrors being able to being able to play at instant speed really uh, it affects your ability to use your skill on the game and use Colgan's command as as a as a well-timed tool not uh, and not only just like a powerful thing to do you can really like get a lot of edge in using it correctly I think
0: yeah and I think that also really lends uh consistently to the flavor of what a gen deck is is it reminds me of a lot of like a Ferrari like yeah, it's well-tuned and it goes fast, but if you're an idiot driver, you're going to wrap that thing around a tree. So, you know, if you are, you know, I mean, Jund is expensive, the, the mana base is expensive, the cards are expensive. But if you buy it and you trade into it and then you pilot it, it's going to be powerful and you are going to learn a lot. Like, I've been playing Jun nonstop for like... The past year I would say and I have suffered a lot of O fours and one threes with it. I mean I'm even happy <laughs> these days when I get it when I'm at it like a two two. Uh, but when I get like the three one or the four oh, I just it's like the best feeling in the world. Yeah,
1: yeah. No, it's certainly a rewarding deck. I think that John did, is a, is a fairly simple deck to, to pilot adequately, like to get to like, you know, 70, 70% or whatever, but getting from, from like 80% to 100 is just, it, it's so difficult because when you're operating on like a 51, 52% margin with your deck, if you're making any mistakes, in gameplay or any mistakes in deck building you're giving away that one or two percent that is your entire justification for playing the deck right yeah so I, I think i think getting your your Jun skill from from 75 to 100 is just a huge a huge task whereas like picking it up and playing it, it, it i think it's fun no matter what but it's that like sort of last leg uh that that's just super difficult to get uh, the results <laughs> that you're looking for
0: yeah, for sure. We need like a t shirt that's just like from a scale of one to Reed Duke, how well do you play Jund? <laughs> you know? And everyone else, and everyone's really like at like a six or a five, you know?
1: I, I honestly don't even understand Reed. Like, he, he, he just refuses to play. He'll, he refuses to play with wraths. Like, he's like, I know, I know, I don't need damnation. I don't need anger of the gods. I'll take one Grim Lava Mancer. That, that's what I'll take over the game with. It's like uh, some of his deck lists are just so, uh, me and my friend, like my friends will make jokes about how he just refuses to play with crutches like thing, things that just auto when you win you matchups like he just won't play with them and I, I think it's i think it's so funny that he he just he just takes like the most sort of difficult to play with cards, the cards that he knows he can like sort of suck the most power out of if he just plays perfectly and he just wins with it every time. It's, it's, it's absurd.
0: Yeah, that is true. I mean, I mean when you think about it though and you're playing like uh, this really beautiful mana curve and then you're like, great, I got like a one of damnation that you're leaning on. It really kind of yeah. changes your head game. But if you're like, nope, I've got a I've got a Grim Lava Mancer in here that's just going to help me win more or beat it back because like Grim Lava Mancers like a really like, you can't even compare it to like a death right, but like it's like a 1-1, one, one. it has an activated cost for one and it takes things from the graveyard, I guess. But, uh, yeah, yeah. but you know, it, it kind of reminds me of that spot a little bit. But yeah, I, I totally get what you're saying about just having these really intricate cards and these really intricate lists but being in the mindset that you're going to play really well to maximize the power level of this deck. Yeah, no, he's certainly super impressive. So now that we've got our listeners super hungry to play Jund, uh, Keith, do you have any uh, recommendations about how players can buy or trade into Jund?
1: Wow. Um, I gotta say I'm not much of a I'm not much of a trader, but I think what like I think this the suggestion anyone would make is is to start with the lands, right? Like uh at least the Bloodstained Myers and like the one or two wooden Hills that you play just got reprinted, so they're they're a little cheaper. Same with Thoughtseize, like at least at least they're reprinting these parts, but it's gonna be rewarding once you get there. Like uh, it took me a while to to build up all the cards, but it, it's one of those decks that you, you know is not going to get banned because they obviously love it in modern so you can, you can really like sink some time into into getting the cards and learning how to play it and having all the sideboard cards and that kind of thing so I, I don't really have suggestions about because it is a large cost but I, I guess the, the saving grace is that you're going to get to play it forever and it, it's never going to stop being fun you're, you're not going to get bored you're not going to ad nauseum someone on turn five every game and, and then realize like you know two years later that you don't want to do that anymore like all of John's games are going to be different because you're always reacting to your opponent so i think that, that's the the real saving grace to to, to going out and getting it
0: yeah, absolutely. And uh, Goyfs are just super legit. So even if something ever did happen to Gen and Modern, you've always got that for Legacy. Or you can just trade it away for other staples because people will yeah, all, exactly. all, always I mean, want Goyfs. Goyfs
1: are cheaper too. They used to be like $200. Now they're like 100 bucks or whatever. That's just right. It's still like an absurd price for cardboard. But at, <laughs> least, at least you're getting a, a bit of a discount over what it was two years ago or whatever.
0: That's right. And like I said, I mean, I got rid of... All my random like decent EDH rares. I mean, I had like one Jace the Mind Sculptor. I had a whole bunch of like foil Wormcoil Engines. I had a, just a, like just a bunch of stuff like half-ass building decks of things that I thought that I wouldn't ever play well. When it really, I just wanted to play Jund, so I traded it all the way.
1: You're certainly not allowed to own Wormcoil Engine and have have Jund as well.
0: Oh yeah, for sure. Th-
1: those things just don't they don't mix. <laughs> I know.
0: Oh my gosh. Um, and I got those Wormcoil Engines on such a good deal too. They were not even the promo. I think they were like the promo alternate art foil ones and they just were so gorgeous. And now I don't own them, but that's okay. Yeah, listeners, if you are like frothing at the mouth to play Jund, um, yeah, just buy into it or trade into it. It definitely is going to be, you know, a project to do. And, you know, that's what I did uh, like about a year ago. And I am super, super happy because I've just got basically two decks. I've got whatever Snapcaster Mage jacket that I have, and then I've got Jund. So it always, you know, shows up really, really well. And people always get really intimidated, even though I'm a scrub. So (laughs) (laughs) that's awesome. Well, Keith, how about what is in the future for Jund? Like, what do you think needs to be unbanned, or what cards do you think may or may not get printed that eventually might help uh, Jund a little bit uh, to reclaim the King of the Hill?
1: Well, I have like, I thought about this a lot prior to speaking with you. I I really don't think that these unbannings are the way to go. Like, as much as I'd love to play with Deathroid Shaman, my heart's broken, though, as much as I'd like to play with uh, Bloodbread off, I I, I just don't think Bloodbread off is that fun, to be honest. Like, If you're playing Jundmirs with Bloodbred Elf and people are just spinning wheels constantly, they're... <clears throat> you you just end up kind of sort of at the mercy of, of the variance of the way the cascade mechanic works. Yeah, I, I don't think uh, I don't think I'd like to see unbannings, but uh, the way that the cards are being printed now bodes well for John, and it's because they've decided that modal cards is something that they're super interested in printing. Things like Collective Brutality and Cole Against Command, and you, even in the new set, cards like Doomfall. Despite the fact that I don't think it's I don't think it's efficient enough to play in John, they have clearly. Found uh, a niche in these in these modal cards, and, and they think that they're very intricate to play with, and they're they're hard to play well, and and they make games play out differently. And that's exactly what what John wants. So so I do think I do think that there is a, a strong future in terms of like uh, how difficult John is to play, and how how likely are they are to get you know powerful options uh, because just the, the way that these cards are being printed lends itself to 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 powerful Jun cards. Something that they they seem to really like are these black-based control, quote-unquote, control decks. Uh, as the blue-based kind of land-go decks have, have kind of, like, made their way out of standard, uh, you do see decks like the black-green Delirium deck that had Emrakul a couple seasons ago, and this, like, black-red control deck that's Sort of showed up on Magic line a little, online a little bit prior to and after the Pro Tour. I think if, if they, they've shown that they like these kind of black based control shells, Jun's obviously gonna reap some benefit. Uh, if, if things continue along that line, uh, I think, I think Jun has a bright future, especially if Death Shadow gets ban- banned. I, I think the black, there's always gonna be a place for a black remix deck. And if, if Death Shadow does end up getting, getting banned, then it's certainly the, the next go to for me, at least.
0: Yeah, especially since Goyf is so splashable and Bob is so splashable. You know, as long as Lily or like Inquisition or Thoughtseize doesn't get banned, like you know, you're gonna. I mean, that's just like half the. That's like seventy percent of the deck right there, along with Bolt. Yeah, right? yeah,
1: it really is. the The core of these decks is is very simple. It, it's you know, like after your your six to eight discard spells, Liliana's Tar, uh, Goyf's, and Dark Confidants. There's a lot of customization in terms of like extra card advantage or more Planeswalkers or how many how many Removal spells do you want? That kind of thing. It's just very difficult to to not have a, a rock-style deck. It's just, when, as these formats grow older, and and Eternal f- formats, this is the case for sure, it's just that these good stuff decks are always going to exist, and they're always going to want to trade resources, and, and Jund is, is often the way that that manifests itself.
0: Yeah, I also see a trend of, like, making better creatures with, like, spells on a stick, you know, with, like, Grim Flare was so yeah. dank when they made that, and it's just like, wow, this thing is a house. Like, if they could Continue that trajectory along with like scavenging ooze, grim flare type things. We recently got uh, Raminap Excavator, which is a crucible of worlds on a creature. Like if yeah, yeah. if you know if that trend continues, and then you know, can you imagine having some like terminate on a creature or something like that, yeah. or like lightning bolt on a creature? You get like some cheaper version of a flame tongue kavu, and it's just like oh my gosh, you know, is back, right? Yeah. That's two for one. So I definitely am interested to see kind of what design space you know. Ix- Salon is going to bring, you know. What if we get a better version of uh, Deathmist Raptor, and somehow that that's modern playable? You know what I mean? Yeah. I know. What if we get something in like Dominaria that's like super sick?
1: I do want to add that I think Traverse the Oldenwald is a like an inherently Jund card. Yeah, and I think uh, if Death Shadow were to get banned, or if there was a, a future of Jund decks, and I, I, I like Willie, Edo was one of the first people to sort of adopt this idea uh when he built the the Absent traverse deck for sometime in the early last year uh i think i think that card and that delirium shell is where john and black green x like the future of these kinds of decks lies like if Death Shadow got banned tomorrow the first thing i would do was put a put mistress Bobbles and traverse the open worlds in a Jun deck and with dark offron and, and see if i could make that work and, and i i do think that if you're a Jun player and and you want to you want to really get creative and start uh start brewing and working on you know the best versions of these jun decks i think there's a lot of a lot of really cool uh, space for thinking and design um with that card and, and the delirium show
0: yeah for sure. I think right now, every Jun player right now is just holding their breath to see the first main deck playable staple because there's been so many great contenders for sideboard options, you know, Kalitas or Kalitas, you know, whatever. That that guy's a house, basically. Yeah. Um, And then, you know, Claim to Fame is good, but, you know, some people are just like, it's not as good and not as versatile as Kolagon's Command, but, you know, we still have to see. Yeah, for sure. Okay, everyone, we have more from Keith coming up, but first, we're going to take a break from our sponsors. Kitchen Table Magic is brought to you by the generous support of listeners like you. In the last three seasons, the show has been downloaded over a 100,000 times and has reached the far corners of the world. Thank you so much for listening to the show. As you know, I give out gifts, little mementos from my interviews to my Patreon supporters. If you'd like to receive signed cards and other cool things, become a supporter at patreon.com slash kitchentablemagic. Thank you so much. This episode of Kitchen Table Magic was brought to you by Paragon City Games. The Kitchen Table Magic podcast has been all about the origins of the game and members of the community. And as a community, we've come a long way since the game first started. Apart from the Kitchen Table, the only other places in your local community to play magic are at local game stores. And that's why places like Paragon City Games is so important for our community. At Paragon City Games, you'll find a spacious and clean showroom with lots of elbow room for magic events. You'll find thoughtful accessories like die-hard metal dice and handcrafted wooden boxes. You'll find a huge supply of legacy, modern, and standard staples, sealed product, and tabletop games. It's places like Paragon City Games that allow local communities to gather in. And if you can't make it there in person, please be sure to watch their weekly stream at twitch.tv slash Paragon City Games. Remember to spread the love with a like on Facebook and a follow on Twitter for Paragon City Games. They also have great online reviews, and that shows their commitment to excellent customer service for their player community. This episode of Kitchen Table Magic is brought to you by Card Kingdom. Cardkingdom.com is a great place to shop for Magic the Gathering singles, sealed product, pre constructed decks, and gaming accessories. They have a huge selection of singles from the latest sets to an ever flowing supply of modern and legacy staples. Card Kingdom also loves to buy Magic cards, they'll offer you cash or in-store credit for your Magic singles. And if you're new to Magic, you'll love playing any one of the 36 new pre-constructed battle decks built by Card Kingdom. Sign up for Card Kingdom's email newsletter to receive coupon codes and deck techs by Magic Pro, Chris Van Meter. You'll get access to Card Kingdom's private reserve, which are special deals for chase rares at significantly discounted prices. Card Kingdom has so much to offer, so I hope you'll check them out. And if you'd like to support Kitchen Table Magic when shopping at Card Kingdom, please use our affiliate link. Just go to cardkingdom.com slash KTM. Okay, and we're back. Keith, I have some rapid fire questions for you. Are you ready? Yeah, yeah, let's do this. Okay, wonderful. Keith, rapid fire question number one. Of the five colors of Magic, white, blue, black, red, and green, which is your favorite color and why? Uh,
1: Well, I think this one will come at no surprise, but uh, my favorite color is black. I just love the flavor. Like that's, that's kind of what got me into magic in the first place was like vampires and black cards and, and like life loss and and that kind of thing. I think, uh, I think there's a lot of like really sweet art and, and kind of flavorful cards that exist in that color. It obviously is the sort of center point of my favorite kinds of decks, which is just like resource denial or like trading resources, even cards like smallpox. Like I, I just think those, those kinds of effects are just so flavorfully black on the color spectrum in terms of like what they do. I, I just love that kind of like that kind of
0: gameplay. Very cool. Very cool. And would you pair it with some other colors?
1: Uh, well, yeah, like I like black green. But uh, like, like, <laughs> obviously, that's that's what I'm into. But I think like I could definitely say black is my favorite color no matter what.
0: Very cool. Very cool. Okay, Keith, rapid fire question number two. If you could change something about Magic the Gathering, what would it be?
1: Okay. So the thing that I would change is how spike heavy the competitive, uh, sort of environment is. Like I, I would change. That I would make it more rewarding for consistent players. And maybe this is just me being salty because, like, I do fairly well, but
0: <laughs> I haven't,
1: like, spiked my event or made my pro tour yet. But I, I just think, like, I, I'm, I'm someone who comes from a, a sports background. And in sports, you're rewarded for showing up every game and, like, playing well and, like, playing consistently and, and, you know, always doing your best and that kind of thing. And I, in Magic, it feels like no matter how well you're doing week to week, whether you're top eating every event you play, outside of GPs, obviously, and, and, you're, you're the, one of the better players in your region or whatever you need that like spike you need to spike the pptq then top four the rptq or you need to top eight the gp in order to have success or quote-unquote success in, in the eyes of the community if there was anything i could change it would be like some sort of rating system or just some sort of way that that consistency would be more sort of readily uh, rewarded and i think they've done a little bit of that with adding bronze to the player club because that way the gp grinders who don't make it or don't get silver or don't get gold have something that they can kind kind of fall back on and that they don't have to play PPTQs. But I I, I do think that that's like one of the biggest flaws with my experience in Magic.
0: Okay. Very interesting. Keith, question number three. If you could give something to every Magic player, what would it be?
1: I think I would give them... Oh, that's tough. Uh, Maybe like... Maybe just like a guide to to politeness. I I, I don't know. Like, I, I... I enjoy. I find like the my favorite magic experiences are when you just get caught off guard by that like super polite opponent that just is just really really kind and like is is not in your face but like is happy to see you. They, you know you you, you exchange pleasantries at, at a GP or whatever, and and they always kind of make a mark because like I don't forget about my matches. I don't forget about my opponents. If I see them in in two years, I'm gonna recognize their face, and and that's like what I try to be to my opponents, so that everyone always comes away with like a positive experience. So if I could give some. That to, to every Magic player, it would just be the ability to sort of like recreate that, that scenario.
0: Okay. Okay. Very cool. Keith, question number four, what do you see in the future of Magic the Gathering?
1: What I hope I see is a balance of digital and in real life play. Like I, I hope that we get to a point where Like things like the mocks. So, so mocks playoffs, like all of the platinum pros get tokens to mocks playoffs. So theoretically, they're, they're one of the more competitive tournaments on the planet, but they're not televised. Like I I can't watch Marshall Sutcliffe Sutcliffe commentate the mocks on Twitch on Saturday or whatever, right? And and I think that's a huge failure of of magic as a competitive environment is that some of the most competitive tournaments are not not made available for to watch or, or to experience as a viewer. I, I think a lot of that is that, you know, it's it's such a, a sort of in person game. But I do think that they can exist on both levels. Like I think that I think you can have these these casual atmospheres at local game game stores where you have your your showdowns and your you know your commander night your modern night whatever. You also kind of make the the game itself more esports-y and, and allow it to uh, exist as a, a hugely competitive game that it is. Because right now we get like this middle ground. The pro tours are great. GPS are sometimes good, but sometimes they're a little lackluster. And I just like really like to see it take that next step in in sort of visibility, but by becoming a a more engaging like digital platform.
0: Okay. Okay. And last, Keith, do you have any asks or requests of the listening audience like where they can find you on social?
1: You can find me at Keith Capstick on Twitter. Uh, I'll always share my my articles of Manor Deprived on there. Um, You can find I have a website, com that uh, I put all my gaming uh, writing as well as my other writing up there. Uh, you can find me on man and deprived as a contributor. Yeah. So, so, so that's pretty much it in, in terms of like how, how you get a hold of me. Uh, if, if you have any questions or, or whatever, just feel free to reach out. uh, I certainly, I'm not a. I, I get, I get some, some pretty regular Facebook messages about what Death Shadow deck should I play this weekend or whatever. So I, I, I certainly like to, uh, like to talk about these kinds of decks. So feel free to let me know.
0: Yeah, very good. And you know, I just wanted to thank you for being on the show, Keith, because uh, I absolutely love Jund, and I always like to peruse the internet to find whatever resources I can to have a better understanding of it. And I really appreciate the effort that you put into doing the research and also to writing the articles and also for coming on the show and sharing your expertise and knowledge and history and love of jund and junk and everything black green rock with the listening audience thank you you know the community is always in a position to accept teachers and accept other perspectives and accept knowledge and so I just wanted to thank you for all the teaching and all the writing that you are doing Keith
1: thank you I mean I appreciate it a lot I think uh, I think if there's anything that's like sort of shocked me about being uh, being a magic player is the, the amount of, of just that just like people who just contribute because they love to. I love that there's like a real atmosphere for me to just sort of start writing about magic because it's cool and, and like make a make a name for myself or whatever. Uh, so yeah, it's, it's great.
0: That's wonderful. Do you have any uh, parting words you'd like to leave the audience with?
1: I'm 23 years old now and uh, what's happened for me is uh, I was in university just like anyone else and uh, I was a young... Young person, and uh, I was like kind of unhappy with uh, with where where things were going for me. So I decided that I was going to turn it around. I was going to stop stop partying, stop drinking, stop doing any of those kinds of things, and try to like live a more like positive and progressive life. And during that time, what happened was I I like I lost a lot of my lost a lot of my closer friends, and I lost like a lot of uh, what I thought my identity was. And uh, magic ended up being great as a way for me to resolve some of those issues and like find a place where I could be myself and not feel pressure to do anything and I could share my opinions and and, and, and write and do everything that, that makes me happy in a communal setting and uh, I, I just want everyone who can get the opportunity or to make the most of it uh, and if you have something that like you you feel like you want to extend yourself into the community whether it's writing or, or videos or podcasts or whatever that I, I think that you should go for it because uh, it's a pretty accepting place and uh, I hope that uh, it continues to become more accepting. <laughs>
0: I hope you enjoyed my interview with Keith Capstick. Go say hi to him on Twitter at Keith Capstick. That's K-E-I-T-H-C-A-P-S-T-I-C-K. And if you'd love to brew up some decks, Keith is there to answer your questions about Jund. I'll have all the links to Keith's articles on Jund in the show notes at kitchentablemagic.org. Thanks everyone for listening to this week's show. I want to take a moment to thank all of my Patreon supporters Brian, Marcus, James L, Alex, Trevor, Caitlin, Mark, Aaron M, Neil, James G, Aaron C, Jonathan, Corey, Chad, Logan, The Magic Man Sam, Jesse, Ben, Nick, Eternal Dirtles, Matthias, Charlie, Grind, Scryfall, Matt, Ian, Prascovie, Ryan, and Carl. Listeners, if you'd like to get special gifts from my interviews, become a supporter at patreon.com slash table magic. Your financial contribution goes to making the show better and keeps it running by helping to pay for audio equipment, software, and server costs. And now that I've partnered with Card Kingdom, there's a new way to support the show. When you shop at Card Kingdom, just use my affiliate link cardkingdom.com slash KTM A big thank you again to all of my Patreon supporters past, present, and future. Your support of Kitchen Table Magic allows me to share stories about the amazing people in the Magic the Gathering community with the world. If you haven't heard already, I've created a new YouTube channel called PlayMTG. It's an upbeat, fast-paced YouTube channel featuring deck techs from the pros, learn-to-play tutorials, level-up advice, card discussion, community news, and more. Just go to youtube.com slash c slash playmtg. Special thanks to Dev for the shoutout on his YouTube channel that helped me get a bunch of new subscribers. I really appreciate your support, Dev. Follow the channel on Twitter at Play underscore MTG. It's also on Facebook at Facebook.com slash PlayMTG, all one word. I'm looking forward to creating new content and I've got some collaborations and new videos in the works. Be sure to subscribe to Kitchen Table Magic on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, SoundCloud, Stitcher Radio, Hipsters of the Coast, and MTGcast.com. Follow the show on Twitter at KTM Podcast. The show is on Facebook.com/slash Kitchen Table Magic Podcast. All of the show notes are at KitchenTableMagic.org. If you're new to the show, there's plenty of past episodes to listen to, and please be sure to share KTM with a friend. Coming up on the next episode of Kitchen Table Magic.
1: The artist's job is to capture the climax of the moment. What's happening right as the action reaches its height. Maybe we could see what happened just before it. I can rebuild a little temple moments before the Aldrazi kicks it into smithereens. The very first card, you know, that I animated was Anger of the Gods. And that's just a look into the hellscape this person has found themselves in. Just trying to take you a little more into the world that the artist has created and unlock a little more of the magic there with some animation.
0: I'm talking to animator extraordinaire Jeffrey Palmer, also known as Living Cards MTG. Jeffrey is the one bringing our favorite cards to life. If you've watched anything from The Professor, Magic the Amateuring, Game Nights, or a Channel Fireball GP, you've seen Jeffrey's work. Jeffrey now works at Channel Fireball during their graphics and I've seen a noticeable level up in the production quality thanks to him. Join me and Jeffrey Palmer as we talk about creativity, art, and animating the game we love, all, on the next episode of Kitchen Table Magic.